2: It's a Friday in Indianapolis here, Aquarian Company, 93.5, 107.5. The fan, yes, it's a little bit overcast, and so too, a little bit cloudy, the college football playoff championship, but we will know, of course, come Monday, who is going to be playing for college football's biggest title. Let's find out what's going on with some of the teams heading into their conference championships, who thinks they might be in, who thinks they still may have work left to do. Let's go ahead. Jimmy, if you could, please. Please put your tray in the upright position and make sure that your seat is upright as well, because we're about to go around the globe on a two-minute drill. Spanning the globe,
3: it's
0: the two-minute drill.
2: We'll land first in the Lone Star State, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Mac Engel, Mac Texas taking on Oklahoma State Big 12 Championship. Big question is, is there anything for Texas to worry about with Oklahoma
3: State? Hell yes. Oklahoma State has won six of the last eight in this series. Cowboys are 2-0 against Texas when Texas is coached by Steve Sarkeesian. And Oklahoma State is the crazy uncle who might show up at Christmas sober. And if he's sober, they can win this game.
4: Mac, if Texas takes care of business, but chaos reigns, Alabama beats Georgia, and the committee picks Alabama over Texas despite the head-to-head advantage, what's the reaction in Texas?
3: Do you remember January 6, 2021? That will be the reaction because Texas is the only team to have defeated Alabama this year. They did it in Tuscaloosa. And if head-to-head doesn't count, then why are we even playing the games? Mac Arch Manning,
2: a lot of talk and interest about him here for the obvious reasons in Indianapolis. Didn't get a lot of playing time this year as a freshman. Is he one and done in Austin, or does he come back next year?
3: It's a great question because Quinn Ewers, the starting quarterback right now, has said he will come back. And the original plan was he was not going to come back. He was going to use his three years of eligibility as a college player and then go pro feels like he needs more time which means arch manning would be the backup next season the whole plan was that arch would be playing next season so that will be the great question going into austin because right now there are three legit starting quarterbacks on that team one of them is going to leave and maybe two but i think i think arch is going to stay and play in 2025 mac engel fort worth star telegram appreciate it anytime John
2: Chuckery, 92-9, the game in Atlanta. Okay, John, Georgia has been obviously the king dog in college football. Question is, is this must-win for the Bulldogs, or do they still get in the playoffs if they don't win the SEC championship?
3: I think the only team
0: uh, that's a lock for the playoffs right now is Michigan. Um, But I do think even if Georgia loses and their only loss is to Alabama, they will find a way in the
2: playoffs.
4: If Alabama is able to win – what are the chances in your mind they actually get that ticket punched and leapfrog some teams, or do they fully need chaos to reign?
0: Well, you know, listen, it's always hard to deny an SEC champion, right? I mean, I don't care, and especially when you have the cachet that Alabama has. So I think Alabama would find a way in, but I will tell you, if Florida State wins, and that's the real wild card, there's no way they're going to leave an undefeated Power 5 champion out of the playoffs.
2: Last question, John, crazy as it sounds, Georgia, because they have won so many games convincingly, are they battle-tested enough to be able to dig down if this comes down to a final possession game with Alabama?
0: They have been challenged over the last couple of years, but they are the best program. They are the best team. Um, They have one of the better quarterbacks uh, in the country. They are ready to roll. And by the way, their coaching
2: staff is outstanding, so there will be no issues as far as that goes. John Chuckery, 92-9, the game in Atlanta. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Scott Docterman writes for The Athletic in Iowa City, Iowa. Okay, Big Ten Championship, Scott, between the Hawkeyes and Michigan. First question simply is going to be, can Iowa score enough points to hang?
5: Probably not. It it really comes down to Iowa being able to withhold Michigan from scoring and keeping itself in the game. I don't see Iowa being able to win any kind of a shootout, and a a shootout for Iowa is anything north of about 17 points. So it's going to have to be keep it very low scoring, good defense, special teams, field position, and give themselves a chance to win in the fourth quarter, and it's going to be defense first.
4: Scott, is there a sense of really enjoy this amongst the Iowa fan base, given the fact that, in my mind, they're probably not getting back here anytime soon with the expansion from the Pac-12 or am I overreacting to that?
5: Probably a little overreaction. Simply look at USC and UCLA and their seasons and everybody thought they would be fighting for the New Year's Six and instead they're fighting for the dumpster. So I I really think that this is Um, A situation where Iowa fans are very excited to be here. Uh, The challenges are going to come from more within with maybe potentially more Michigan-Ohio State rematches or Penn State getting in there once in a while and then, of course, one of the West Coast teams. But overall, I think people are excited. However... Uh, They also realize that this is a monumental task, one much more difficult than the previous trips to Indianapolis.
2: So we'll speak to their strengths real quick, Scott, talking about Iowa. Do they have the defense to corral Michigan the level they're going to have to?
5: The only way they can do that is if they can keep them off the field a little bit on offense, and that's move the ball, get a couple first downs just on every single possession, and keep the defense off the field. And yes, they have the potential to be
2: in the game, but probably not to win a four-quarter fist fight. Scott Docterman, The Athletic in Iowa. We thank you. Thanks. Austin Meek, The Athletic in Ann Arbor, Michigan, talking about the Wolverines. Austin Big Ten Championship taking on Iowa. Jim Harbaugh back. Does it change in any way, shape, or form the game day approach or the way the Wolverines go about what seems to be, on paper, a lopsided game?
6: Well, I think everybody at Michigan feels a sense of relief with Jim Harbaugh being back on the sideline. It just feels like everything's back in place again. It certainly didn't seem like Michigan missed him a lot in that game against Ohio State. Sharon Moore stepped in as the acting head coach and pushed all the right buttons in that game for Michigan to get a, a huge win that has kept them in position to make the playoff and pursue a national championship, but I, I, think, I think you'll see everybody around the Michigan program just feel a little bit more comfortable, a little more like everything's in order with Jim Harbaugh back on the sideline.
2: Is it must win or was the Ohio State victory enough to solidify Michigan
6: in the playoff? My personal feeling is that Michigan probably gets in even if they lose to Iowa, but I don't think they want to find out. His losing to Iowa would not, be, uh, would not be the way any team wants to go into the college football playoff. Uh, and If Michigan somehow finds a way to lose this game to a team that really, really can't score, uh, that would be a pretty, a pretty, uh, a pretty shocking outcome and uh, definitely not the way that Michigan would want to uh, finish its season going into the playoff.
4: Austin, I'm taking you down a path of degeneracy here. Is Michigan's defense good enough to keep Iowa out of the end zone? Their team total, Iowa's team total is six and a half when the week started. If Michigan complete that and only hold them to field goals.
6: (laughs) Is Michigan's defense good enough? Is Iowa's offense bad enough? (laughs) I I think probably both. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I picked Iowa with nine points in my prediction today, and I was kind of like, I don't know how they get to nine. Uh, They might need a couple safeties in there somehow, but – uh, yeah, I, I mean, I will really be surprised if Iowa scores in double digits in this game because Michigan's defense has been has been good all season, um, and Iowa just you know has not been able to has not been able to score, has not been able to sustain drives, and that's a, that's a pretty bad combination.
2: Austin Meek, The Athletic in Ann Arbor, covering Michigan. Enjoy the city while you're here at the Big Ten Championship.
6: All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
2: Taylor Tannebaum, ACC Network, Florida State and Louisville. Big question is this, Taylor, and that is Florida State backup quarterback, Louisville. We know that obviously Jeff Brom can draw up crazy plays. Do the Cardinals have enough to wreak havoc on Florida State?
7: They absolutely do. The Cardinals, they've proven this season what they can do with transfer quarterbacks A senior leader, Jack Plummer, five-year guy in college football. They have running backs. It's stable. It's not just Juar Jordan anymore. Isaac Arendo has really emerged as a one-two punch there in the backfield. And they've got a defense to complement it. They have 30 sacks on the season. They will get after the quarterback. The thing for Louisville, though, is turnovers, you guys. They have an incredible margin when they're winning, a plus-eight turnover margin, minus-five in their two losses this season. So that will be the difference for Louisville, not turning the ball over to a stingy Florida State team that does not give up the Pigskin at all, nearly at all this season.
4: Taylor, do you trust the committee that it's win and get in for Florida State, or do they need to overcompensate and win this thing nicely?
7: I trust the committee. I do trust the committee in the history of the BCS and the college football playoff that is 25 years, no undefeated team has ever been left out of a national championship or, in the college football playoff conversation, a Final Four. That does not include an Auburn team back in 2004. There were three undefeated teams, so nearly obviously one had to be left out. But if history repeats itself, Florida State will be in. The object is to win your games. The object is to win a conference championship. If Florida State does that, even with a backup quarterback, which in my opinion proves this is a total team and not just about one member... They should be in, no question. Now, of course, it's the last year of four teams. We head to 12 next year. If they change the rules, it'll be unprecedented. And Florida State criminal fans, if they're undefeated, will have something to be upset about.
2: So that takes my last question, Taylor, and that is the quarterback situation for Florida State. Are they reliant too much on the quarterback, or do they have enough balance to offset where now they don't have their starter that led them for the vast majority of the season?
7: It would be ideal to have Jordan Travis out there with his years of experience. Obviously, he commands his offense very well, but they can do it. They proved it last week with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback down there in the swamp against their biggest rival in Florida. It will take a total team effort. Number one, got to get off to a faster start. You can't dig yourself a 12-0 hole against the Louisville Cardinals who can score at will with explosive plays. The other side to this is the defense. Did their job last week, six sacks. The running game, Trey Benson had three touchdowns on the ground. They're going to have to complement Tate. He has playmakers all around him at the wide receiver position. You mentioned at the beginning, Jeff Brown, how he can call plays. Mike Norvell is just as good.
2: Taylor Tannebaum, ACC Network, by way of WTHR in Indianapolis. Always appreciate it.
7: Thank you, guys.
2: Again, thanks to Taylor Tannebaum. And that is the two-minute drill. Jimmy, what we didn't talk about amongst that tour around, A nice job Eddie lining all of those up and being able to punch those through um, as we went along there because it gets a little dizzying, I realize. Oregon and Washington tonight, 8 o'clock in Las Vegas. That is the Pac-12 championship. And, you know, I listen – this one to me is curious because let's let's go both sides of it here. If if Washington, for example, is to win, then Washington's in. I mean, they're unbeaten, they're Correct. unblemished, and they will have beaten Oregon twice. The, would you agree? Washington's in with a win, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a lock. Now, if Oregon is to beat Washington, that would mean that Oregon and Washington split. How do you split the hairs over? Which one goes, I guess it would be that Oregon won the Pac-12. They're the conference winner. But is that enough to get Oregon in with a loss?
4: It all depends where all the rest of the chips fall, right? If Washington, if every other conference champion takes care of business, and Washington is the only one that doesn't, that would mean that you move Florida State up to three, Georgia and Michigan are one and two. Oregon gets in. They won their conference championship game. The only fight you're having for any other team, it's not Ohio State, it would be Texas if they win their conference championship game. Then you're evaluating those two programs and making your decision. But for me, if I'm looking at what the committee has ranking-wise right now, if it's 12-1 and Oregon and undefeated Georgia's there, undefeated Michigan's there, undefeated Florida State's there, you bump Oregon up, you move Washington out, and you go about your day.
2: Here, Here's what I think. You know who I think is going to end up in it? give it to me Ohio State correct Georgia beats Alabama Georgia's in right correct Texas beats Oklahoma State Texas is in right
4: I need to you need to play out the scenario okay. for just Texas winning alone does not Michigan beats Iowa okay so there's two teams I'm they're in yes
2: Louisville beats Florida State Florida State's out and Oregon beats Washington then what you have is if Oregon beats Washington, then it comes down to do you take Oregon with two teams in the Big uh, the Pac-12 each with a loss, and the Pac-12 has been shut out before. I think if Oregon beats Washington, Ohio State because then you look at it and you say Oregon and Washington each have one loss but they cancel each other out. Ohio State only has one loss and it was on the road with the ball on final possession with a chance to beat Michigan, who's in? I think Ohio State gets in.
4: So give me your... Georgia, yeah, Michigan, say, the four teams Georgia, Michigan Ohio State, who's the last? Texas. Okay. Oregon would get in over Texas for me because Oregon is beating a team that's third in the playoff committee's most recent rankings. I don't care if Texas there wins is, by 30.
2: There is truth to this. In that scenario, what hurts Texas, ironically enough, is that scenario that I just laid out for you has Georgia beating Alabama, which thus demerits Texas's best win a little bit more. Right. So I agree with you there, but but here's the thing.
4: By the way, if Texas, if Alabama beats Georgia, and this is a take by a couple of different people, I'm not unique in this. If Texas wins and Alabama beats Georgia, head to head should matter. Alabama sitting at home as an SEC champion. That's not going to happen, but that's what should happen. Otherwise, what are we doing the regular season for?
2: I I am a firm believer in this. Then I believe by that logic
5: the, shouldn't Alabama be in over Georgia.
4: Well, I I haven't given he's you saying, my final four in that scenario. Alabama I'm Georgia talking about would be out. Yeah, I I guess you guess you're knocking them both out in that scenario. Yeah, I'm a believer. Head, head in... has to matter. Sorry, Jim. I'm a believer in this. Precedent backs me up
2: here. Mm-hmm. Human nature backs me up here. Psychology backs me up here. The eye test and brand does matter. They can say all they want, it doesn't. I've said a thousand times with the NCAA tournament, the NCAA tournament, when it comes down to it, if they've got to choose between 19-11 and 11 Kentucky or 25-4 and four Boise State, yeah. they're taking 19-11 and 11 Kentucky every time because they know what moves the needle. I am
4: convinced. You can also make an argument there, too, with quad wins, but that's a whole other story.
2: Oregon America. is a sexy brand, okay? Yeah. I get it. But Ohio State is a juggernaut. Ohio State has in the past, the precedent shows, been given benefit of the doubt and gotten in when they did not win the conference to go to the conference championship and got in over teams that did. And Ohio State, coming into this year, they went and they won at Notre Dame. Ohio State is a brand going into it that was a thought to be, not a foregone conclusion to be in the playoff, but certainly a front runner for it. And they are arguably the biggest brand historically in college football not of those that we're talking about right here historically and 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 what moves the needle even more so than the Nike money in Oregon or at Washington I truly believe if Ori, if it comes down to that scenario I laid out, and Oregon and Washington have split with one another, that Ohio State gets benefited out and gets in. They're sitting right. They didn't put Ohio State after they lost. They didn't put them down at nine or eight. They didn't put them down there dancing with Alabama. They put them at six. They put them right there on the outside, looking in. The door. There is light underneath the door, and all it has to do is crack a little bit, and Ohio State slither, slithers their way in. That's and why
4: they I, would slither because they're snakes. That, exactly. That's why expansion's a good thing, folks. Correct. This is all
2: a moot point next year
1: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you
4: blue friday here on query and company jake has made a tragic mistake here Very rarely does it happen, but he's made one here because he's given me the ability to open up our next guest, and I'm so glad that he did. The Fan Zone, Kevin Bowen. He's a host on Query – or, excuse me, he's a host on the Wake Up Call. Well, now we see why. That's why the tragic era was there, but it's going to get worse. KB, Tiger is minus three in the second round today, and he's even. How do you feel about it? Give me the rapid reaction, please.
0: Yeah, I've gone back and forth on three majors coming up in (laughs) – 2024, just toggling back and forth. Jake might have him at four major wins, so I I might be a little bit low (laughs) on that. But the gate looks great, which is very important. The swing speed looks beautiful. We'll shake you the putter here on the last couple of holes, but Christmas has come early to Kevin Bowen, let's just say that.
2: Isn't he playing in like some pro-am in the Bahamas or something like that? (laughs) What's he playing Um, in right now?
0: Yeah, it is a smaller field event. Uh, I don't know that the location particularly matters. He's beating <laughs> several major champions if you look at the leaderboard right now. and It's a very, very respectable effort uh Kevin. out of uh, eldrick so i got i got a buddy
2: <laughs> my buddy dave scott from north central year below me he won some tournament some pro-am in new york or something a year ago so he got to go down to that deal and he's playing in it and he's shooting sending me video constantly of tiger woods uh borderline restraining order level stuff from dave but he's all he's all <laughs> giddy with you guys i you, i can just get you guys you, like in a group text if you want you guys can all salivate together that'd be cool are
4: you gonna be in it or no no. I, oh, okay. I
0: was going to say, yeah, go ahead, Dave, 317-441-3968, please.
4: <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'll I'll
2: incorporate it in and I'll have him send all the shirtless videos of Tiger Woods. So it's mm-hmm. becoming awkward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sh- shirtless with Micah Shrewsbury, shirtless shirtless with Tiger Woods, you have certainly seen that before. I I'll tell you what. That of the times we had Kevin, and we had a lot of fun in the morning with with me, you and Mark, but the time that you came in with no shirt on Passing out donuts, although Sam Fritz was in that day. That was the last time I think Sam Fritz sat in with us. Go figure. Uh, And you were shirtless because you were excited about Michael Shrewsbury. Speaking of that, and I have not looked, so I apologize. Uh, How have things gone so far for the Notre Dame men's basketball team?
0: Uh, It is a rebuild, uh, to say the least. It is a rebuild. They lost to uh, Western Carolina at one point um, this season, Uh, They did beat Oklahoma State, which I think they're god-awful, actually, this year. But I was happy to see they beat a Power 5 team. And then the other night, they lost to South Carolina. That was undefeated South Carolina, to be fair. Um, But, yeah, it is a – ESPN will flash up the graphic every game. They lost 99% of their minutes, scoring, rebounds, and I think only 98% of their assists. So, uh, they really moved the basketball very well.
2: But they've gotten, before we get into the Colts, they've gotten pretty good play, have they not? Talking about Notre Dame from Mr. Basketball, right? Yeah,
0: he actually broke LaFondo Ellis's record on opening night. I, I thought Chris Thomas might have had the record for most points uh, for a freshman in his debut. Yeah, Burton had like 29, so uh, yeah, he's everything I got a point guard. And I mean, to be fair, he, he's had some inconsistent shooting nights, to say the least, but um, yeah, he's about all they got from a point guard creation
2: standpoint. Kevin, in terms of the Colts, we will flip to that. You know, the the stage is set for them nicely to finish here and put themselves to maintain in wild card position because their schedule is such that they're going to get the chance. You know, when you when you got the Raiders, you got the Bengals, you got the Steelers, which you know now is going to be a Saturday oh. game at four thirty on the sixteenth. You got the Texans. You know, they have a chance to obviously land blows against the teams that theoretically are going to be hanging around with them towards the end of the year for that wild card. But one game at a time, so we'll begin with Tennessee. We'll start with just the health standpoint. No practice on Wednesday. They did walkthroughs. Where do things stand right now for Indianapolis from a health standpoint?
0: Yeah, uh pretty healthy, I would say. Juju Brents will miss game number five. It's actually six straight weeks if you incorporate the bye. So and that's obviously a bummer Uh when you talk about the short term. It's certainly a bummer when you talk about the long term and trying to get him. And unfortunately, he's had such an injury-riddled season. Uh, and then obviously Johnson Taylor is out for this game. Uh, but that's it. Ryan Kelly looks like he'll make his return. Uh Drew Ogletree, who I kind of want to see a little bit more of. You know, tight end group has been – very inconsistent, and no one's really taking a stranglehold atop top that depth chart at all. Uh, I'd kind of like to see Ogletree string together about a month or so of games and see what he could show. Uh, and Tennessee, you know, they are actually pretty healthy as well. I, I believe their injury report, I, I don't think they had uh, anyone. No one of note really missed a practice, and I think Will Levis is a little bit banged up, but they should be in pretty good health uh, entering Sunday, so – yeah, Colts, uh, all in all. Uh Brent's Jonathan Taylor, those are the only two guys that James Tacken ruled out about an hour ago.
4: Kev, is this the game that we'll look back on if the Colts falter and Tennessee takes care of business of man, I wish Grover Stewart could have been there.
0: Yeah, it's a great point, Jimmy. Um I, I honestly I, I go back to even that first game that Grover mentioned that, that Grover missed. Um you know that was the Cleveland game, and if you remember, on the I think it was the third play of the game, Jerome Ford right at the gut, like on a third and two, ripped off like a 65-yard touchdown. And then at the end of the game, amidst all the chaos with the officiating, you know, it still was a fourth and goal, and and they ran it, you know, up the middle, and Kareem Hunt got in the end zone. So I think I go back to that opener, um, or I guess the grover Stewart suspension opener and think back to that game. Because if you look at the standings, you know, Cleveland is right ahead of you right now. Had you won that game, you would be a spot ahead of Cleveland and would have the tiebreaker over them as well. So certainly this is one that, you know, when you look at the Colts' run defense, it's incredible. I mean, Grover Stewart, I, I, don't, I think Jake asked me maybe last week, I mean, he's done, in a way, getting busted for, you know, whatever he got busted for. is actually probably worked out pretty well for his uh, market value and free agency because – Boy, does he mean a lot to the Colts, and uh, yeah, that's a big difference from the first matchup. You know, you absolutely stuffed Eric Henry in that first game. Uh, three yards per carry, I think it was, for, for Henry, and Grover, of course, played in that game. So I do think that's a big, big factor, and honestly, probably feel part of the reason why I think kind of feel equal
2: out here on Sunday. Game one between these two, between the Colts and the Titans, Kevin, we saw, you know, obviously Anthony Richardson was in that game, then Gardner Minshew, but a lot of Zach Moss that game. 23 carries, 165. Does does Indianapolis, do the Colts change game plans going into this, or do they kind of go under the theory and the philosophy of, hey, it was only a seven-point win, but a win's a win. If an eight broke, don't fix it. Do we see similar schematic design of what we saw from game one
0: yeah I think you have to and again a lot of that is personnel based I mean Anthony Richardson started that game you know when Zach Moss ripped off the big touchdown run that was with Richardson in the lineup um you know obviously if you look back on that play Tennessee had a couple of defenders very occupied with what Anthony Richardson might have done had he kept it on that third and short and obviously he did not and so you know Gardner Minshew doesn't just command the same sort of sort of tension on the field. Um, and then as we brought up, you know, Grover Stewart, I think you'd be foolish to think that, you know, the same sort of rushing game plan that you had, you could implement again and expect, you know, whatever, Taven Bryan and, um, you know, Aaron Johnson and some of these other, other defensive tackles to man that. Um, and then lastly, I'd probably say just from a secondary standpoint, you know, that was still – I, I want to say that was actually a game that Juju Brents played. And remember, uh, DeAndre Hopkins had a huge game that – that, yeah he had 140 yards uh, yeah and hopkins has been relatively quiet since will levis has become the quarterback so i think that's you know good news for the colts i guess but you know we saw you know, on sunday you know mike evans you would think would be priority number one and you know he was you know running loose uh you know wide open a couple of critical times in that game so um you know, obviously, you know, Tennessee is going to do what they do. Colts are going to do what they do. But it's two different starting quarterbacks. It's the key personnel, losses. So I, I don't think it'll be the exact same, you know, for either team, really, from a uh, schematic standpoint.
1: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
4: Kevin Bowen another the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy taking some time with us here on The Fan. KB, with Jonathan Taylor's absence, and this feels like a really weird question to ask because I don't think we would have said it to start the year, but we definitely could say it with his return. Where does the passing game, if at all, take a step back when it's Zach Moss in there instead of Jonathan Taylor?
0: Hmm. Um... I mean, i my, my, probably nitpicking a little bit here, probably a little bit too. I, I I guess to answer it, I don't really know significantly. Obviously, Taylor's more of a home run hitter. So I, I guess if you want to go off that, you know, maybe it keeps a safety or two a little bit, I don't know, closer to the line of scrimmage. Um,
4: and the answer could be it doesn't. Not. Like, if you feel like it's not impacted by it, I just feel yeah, like I, that I, the pass catching's been there for Taylor this season at times in ways that it, it was in spurts, right, a year ago.
0: Yeah, and I'll be honest, Jimmy, I, I feel like they could and should use Taylor more in the passing game. Um, I don't believe he had a catch last week or even a target. And to me, he's just a dynamic guy in space that, you know, he's hard to tackle. I would think you would want to utilize him in that role. Um, I think the passing game is a passing game right now, and that is it's got to be quick rhythm. You know, it's got to be the one read stuff. I mean, if you look at the Michael Pittman Um, you know catches last week it's not like he was you know his depth down the field was very long it was just kind of methodical eight ten yard passes um, you know time in and time out and that's how he kind of you know added up to whatever he had and I don't know if he was over 100 but he was certainly very close to that Um, so I just don't see this I mean maybe you can dial up a deep shot to Alec Pierce uh, but still I I think this passing offense for the most part You kind of know what you're getting with that. Now, Tennessee, again, we talk about personnel. Kevin Byard, one of their more veteran defensive players, he was traded a few weeks ago. He played in that first matchup. So do you feel the need to maybe test some more of the new safety back there? Um, Maybe that's something that you do. But I I don't know if it's an overwhelming difference with Taylor or without Taylor uh, with Moss in there with that passing game.
2: Kevin Kevin Bowen is our guest, by the way. You hear him every morning, of course, with a wake-up call with Kevin and Andy on this radio station from 7 to 10 a.m. Um, how has – let's go back to Kevin camp, okay, when, you know, late August and, and into the regular season. How has Shane Steichen changed, if at all? I mean, I think we forget because he does – I had mentioned earlier this week, he looks and feels the part. You know, he just seems to be very in control of how he wants to go about things. He doesn't seem to be overwhelmed by moments. You're around it probably closer than I, obviously, by going there and doing the pressers and, and things like that. Has he changed at all in terms of his approach, his, uh, his learning, etc., over the course of the season?
0: You know, when you say go back to training camp, I thought you were going to bring up that day I picked up the animal
2: dung. Yeah. I, Remember that? Yeah, you thought it – so we get out there. It's like 6.45 in the morning, 6.50, whatever. We're on at 7. And and, and you say, boy, that's a really resilient clump of grass clippings. And I said, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's like coyote dung. No, 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 that's grass clippings. And we're doing the show, and, and and you were transfixed on it, quite frankly. You were obsessed with it. And I kept telling you, no, 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 that's the, – and then you went over, and the next thing I know um, – you're picking up poo with your bare hands, right?
0: Yeah, well, uh, to be fair, I did get a napkin. I, I didn't go straight <laughs> up bare that hands. Matters. That matters. That matters. Barbaric of an individual. Um, coyotes in Hamilton County, can you imagine what the uproar would be with that, just lingering at the Grand Park Sports Complex? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I that it's a massive mistake by me. I thought my history on golf courses. We were looking at some morning grass clippings, but no, that was crusty animal dung, to say the least.
2: <laughs> um, well, at least we know he'd yeah. been there a while.
0: Well, yeah, certainly, certainly. You know, I, I think in a way, Shane has changed, or I, I, I don't know if changed, but I think we've just seen him show off the no, a, a little bit of a no-nonsense, accountable nature in a quiet way. Like I don't think he gets in front of a mic. And he preaches like accountability with his words and calls guys out publicly and this and that. But whether it is a benching of Deion Jackson, a benching of Daryl Baker Jr., and I, you know, I think some people disagreed with this. Whether he meant it or not, the cutting of Shaquille Leonard is an accountable move without question. I mean, that sends, and again, it might be an indirect message, but that sends a hell of a message to your locker room of like, I don't care, that dude makes you know, as much money as anybody on our team. I don't care that he's a captain. I don't care if he's on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium. If you're not playing at a level that we feel like is acceptable, we will not just bench you, we will cut you. And so um, I think those are probably some of the things we've learned about him of I think you do in the offseason. Smart dude, direct communicator, concise communicator, um, you know, can be demanding with his words. But now in season, I think players have seen the accountability. It's one thing to do with the Deion Jackson one thing to do to Daryl baker jr it's a whole nother again to do it to a guy like Shaq. so uh that's probably the biggest thing that we've seen on display here during the season
2: kevin we've kind of kept an eye obviously in the area all of us have kevin Bow and our guest on where shaquille leonard ends up um we've talked probably you know ad nauseum to an extent about how just once once the you know he had to to rely on mechanics instead of just athletic instinct to get to the ball. That's where things started to go away from him. He's visited Dallas. He's visited Philadelphia. He has not been given a contract through either visit, but both are still contemplating that. Is it possible – this sounds crazy, Kevin. Is it possible we've seen the last of him as a player? Um,
0: I think he'll give it one more shot, but – a team giving him a consistent starting role, uh, boy, I, I, I don't know if I'm holding my breath for that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I said it, whatever it was, I guess it was last Tuesday when he got cut, uh, or maybe it was two 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 days ago, I don't know, it all runs together at this point in the season, but I would just take the rest of the year off if I were him. I, 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 am a, I have this, like, weird feeling that he goes to Dallas or Philly, he tries to play, He gets out there for a couple series, it doesn't go well, and they have zero emotional ties to him whatsoever and zero financial ties to him whatsoever, or at least I should say minimal financial ties to him, and they just move on and they whatever. They they insert somebody else or they go back to what they were doing or they give another linebacker a shot. Um, I almost think it might be good for him emotionally, physically, to sit on a couch for the rest of the year, reset, and when these rosters expand and you get a full offseason to prove yourself and you get into kind of a time of the offseason to where, you know, teams might be a little bit more patient with you, uh, that would be smarter for him. But uh, at the same time, I understand how he's wired as a competitor. Clearly there's some interest. And, you know, he probably wants to go chase, you know, some sort of playoff success as well, which he obviously hasn't had here. But, yeah, the uh, I, I, I found it a bit odd that, You know, I'm seeing these pictures of him in the Philadelphia airport like, you know, like it's Peyton Manning or Reggie Wayne coming to visit their respective teams. And I'm like, I get there's the all-pro part of the resume, but that resume is pretty dusty. Uh, The all-pro part, I should say. Uh, The reality is there's a reason why the Colts cut him. So um, I hope that I'm dead wrong on all of that. But in speaking in reality and giving my honest thoughts, that's kind of where I'm at.
4: The Fan Zone, Kevin Bowen, with us. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, Colts beat Ryder as well on 107.5thefan.com. KB, you highlighted this in one of your pieces earlier in the week. Hard to believe this. Colts looking for their first four-game win streak in five years if they're able to get it done against Tennessee. Looking at those last three games at Carolina, against New England, across the pond, and against Tampa Bay. That's where the three-game win streak lies. And over that stretch, 15 sacks... Seven turnovers. I get it. There's probably middle ground there for the competition they're playing. But when you look at just the rest of their schedule this year, is that type of defensive output sustainable?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I I tend to think not. But, boy, if it is, then January becomes a really, really real possibility. Um, you know, I almost look at Carolina and New England and think they don't even have a pulse. You know, they're the two NFL teams that just, they don't have a pulse, especially offensively. Um, Whereas Tampa Bay's got a little bit of one, which obviously, you know, you, you produced at a pretty high rate against Baker. Um, And for what it's worth, Tennessee, their O-line has really struggled this year. I think their 30th, I believe, in sacks allowed. Will Levis has struggled in that area. So we could see another kind of high number this week, um, which would obviously do wonders for you trying to get a win, but, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of past history, but I, I just still am a, a little bit in kind of the prove it stage when it comes to this pass rush. But it's hard to you know argue against those numbers and and all the credit to Samson Ebukam. I, I don't feel like we have given him enough praise for what he did at the end of the game. Um, you know that is a play that this team did not do last year in trying to close out wins over Philly and Washington or Houston the final week of the season. They didn't do it against Philip Walker back in. Uh, you know, whatever that was, mid-October. And sure, there were, you know, some officiating that obviously impacted it, but, you know, you still let the Browns drive 60-some yards before the officiating crept into it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Mathis and Freeney, I mean, they would salivate over those opportunities. You got a seven-point lead, two minutes to go, and you're asked to go out there and close the game. And what an opportunity for your defensive line. And it you know, doesn't just beat any left tackle. Tristan Wirfs, one of the best left tackles in football, and he beats him you know easily on that third down and has a huge strip sack so you know maybe more than the sheer numbers just that play when you needed it the most to not only make the sack to make the strip and close out that game um, I do feel like Samson Ebicom deserves a whole lot of praise for that
2: Kevin I'm sure you talked about this a lot I wanted to, to conclude with this because it's somebody that you worked closely with in your covering of the Colts um, the Frank Reich situation in Carolina I look at that with Frank Reich being let go and I think it's interesting somebody pointed this out to me the two coaches this year that did not make it the totality of the season before being released are the two guys that Chris Ballard essentially hired right Josh McDaniels and then Frank Reich uh, to coach the Colts but in Reich's situation I kind of don't put that on Frank Reich I-, I think he was given a quarterback that was not his first choice and that speaks more about Carolina than it does Frank Reich your thoughts
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to put it. Uh, You know, David Tepper seems wild. Um, Seems like he makes Jim Irsey look tame in some situations. Honestly, Frank Reich could probably write a hell of a book on working for Jim Irsey and David Tepper, um, albeit very short with 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 Tepper. But I always, I mean, to me, CJ Stroud just screamed Frank Reich type quarterback. You know, with how obsessed he is with accuracy and. You know, I'll never forget the Stroud quote at the combine and calling himself a ball placement specialist. And you know, I think we all saw the clips at Ohio State's Pro Day of how Frank Reich was reacting to C.J. Stroud and all that. So I, I was a little a little confused by that. Um, and, you know, for what it's worth, it seems like David Tepper, like this is just how he owns. Uh, he owns the MLS franchise down there in Charlotte, and they are on in the second season of existence of the whole entire franchise. They're on their third coach, and they've made the playoffs. So it's not like they've been Owen whatever, 20, and he's just firing coaches already on your third coach in the second year of existence, and you make the playoffs. That's quite the feat. So, um, you you know, I think you could easily say, you know, Frank Reich, wouldn't have worked out in Carolina. That's fine. But uh, to just all of a sudden cut ties after – you know, whatever, three months seems a bit quick on that plug. And I hope Frank can find, you know, uh, honestly, I think marrying kind of his two passions in life, and that's football and that's religion. Um, You know, I think he's a really faith-based individual, and um, I I would think he could do something in this kind of next professional chapter of kind of marrying those two things because I I think he said earlier this week that in all likelihood this is the final NFL-specific chapter for him.
4: Kevin, last week, 13 targets for Michael Pittman Jr. He's been right around 12 to 13 when you look game by game this year. But Josh Downs also gets 13 targets, I believe, near a season high for him there, if not outright a season high. When you look at those two and the rest of the Colts receivers, if they are relying on the passing game at times over this stretch, is that the mix it should be? Pittman Jr. and Downs are your top target getters and then a sprinkling along the rest of the offense, or is that too much with two guys?
0: No, I think that's probably accurate. I mean, like I was saying to you guys at the start, I, I, I'd be curious if you gave Drew Ogletree a handful of targets a game, what that looked like. Um, obviously, he's missed several weeks now, so he, he probably doesn't slide right back into that role. And I do think a healthy Taylor deserves multiple touches in the passing game as well. Um, but, yeah, I would say hovering around double digits for Pittman and downs makes sense. And with Pierce, I know Minshew's arm is not there, but, you know, might have been Carolina. I don't know, maybe it was New England. You know, he had Pierce on a bit of a deep ball, uh, and Minshew just overthrew him. I, I still think with how defensive backs panic, and hell, we saw it last night in the Thursday night game, and with how pass interference is called, I, I think dialing up just a couple of deep shots a game to Alec Pierce, even if you are not sold on Gardner Minshew's arm, I mean, DBs just trip over themselves and they throw a flag. So uh, I, I think that is something, especially kind of see. I mean, we saw some big pass interference penalties go for the Colts against Tennessee in that first matchup, particularly on that final drive that milked the clock there in the fourth quarter. So uh, I, I, I still think taking a couple shots down the field to Pierce uh, during a game makes some sense as well.
1: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: Kevin, Jimmy's going to make his debut at Lambeau this weekend. Any advice for him? You've been there. Ooh,
0: wow, Jimmy Cook.
3: That's awesome.
0: Uh, I love the non-corporate feel to it. Um, I mean, it's just football. I hope the weather looks I, – I hope it's awful. Isn't oh, I want all awful, of that. Jimmy?
4: Yeah, there's snow in the forecast now. Yeah, if we're you need doing it. I that's want the, the whole full deal, frozen right? tundra. Yeah, yeah Sunday yeah. night under the lights. Yeah, let's go.
0: That's all. Yeah, the Colts played there. I want to say it was like early November. Jordan Toddman took the opening kick back for a touchdown, if I remember correctly, and it was a beautiful day. And I was so li- li- part of me was kind of pissed, to be honest. With yeah, me. you want like that, snowballs
2: that, that, flying around yes. the whole deal, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to, you know, I am going to see people shirtless and you know, ten degrees. Uh, so I did not get that whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, have a, have a blast. I mean, the town is, uh, you know, it feels a little bit like a college town. I it's think like Terre Haute. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the wilder parts is I I don't know if Green Bay has built a hotel capable of it since then. I want to say that was like 2016 the Colts played up there. Uh, But yeah, because I think next year they go back up there. Uh, The NFL team stay in, I think it's Appleton, I
3: believe is the closest
0: city that has a hotel capable of housing an NFL team. So I mean that that was just kind of a little wild travel you know element to it all.
4: So you're saying that since our Airbnb is in Appleton, that my uh, Chiefs family should try to hunt down Andy Reid and buy him a cheeseburger? Is that what you're saying? Like that's 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 on the table now with where we're staying. Yes.
0: Well, I don't want to you know I don't want any stalkerish <laughs> arrests potentially happening here. Tiger Woods post, level uh, pictures. For- it
4: wouldn't be hard to find him. Okay. All right. No, because I'm, I'm not saying because he's big. I'm saying because the town's small. It's tiny. It's the second day in a row now. You've walked treacherous game with uh with, with that big red you. and then for Eddie. No, I'm telling
2: you, it's because Appleton, there's I mean, there's No, there's no I, know. I know. There'd be like two places for him to go to get a cheeseburger.
5: Is there is point. a
4: hotel across the street now, KB. It might have been there before, but I think it's just a fan hotel because it's like right across from Lambeau. We tried to get in there. Unfortunately, it was sold out. So Appleton, we'll do a 30-minute drive into Green Bay and call it a day.
3: I
0: uh, want Nothing more than you and Big Red splitting Continental. Oh man! <laughs> together.
2: <laughs> That's right. Get uh, your... You getting
0: the Frosted Flakes or uh, <laughs> what would you go? Oh, uh, you went the you want the Fruit Loops. <laughs> yes, Beautiful. Okay. Got it.
2: Hey, listen. Those small towns, man. I told you, IndyCar one time, I knew we were in a small town for the Iowa race when I looked over at the Super 8 and Elio Castroneves was checking in next to me. And I'm like, (laughs) man, we are not in Des Moines, that's for sure. Kevin, enjoy the weekend, and we'll listen for your coverage Monday after the Colts and Titans game.
0: All right, you guys have a great weekend as well. All
2: right, Kevin Bowen joining us again. The wake-up call with Kevin and Andy, 7 to 10 each morning here on The Fan.